0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Garfigel of Project 613 here in Chicago with a very timely and important message. For my Jewish brothers and sisters out there listening in podcast world, Project 613 had an incredible week. We were, you know, planning just a small little rooftop event and said, you know, let's just throw something out there. Found an amazing rooftop, 18th floor, looking out over the downtown Chicago. And we're expecting, I don't know, 15, 20 people. We put it up there, it exploded. We had well over 50 Jewish young professionals there this past week for an incredible get-together, a summer chill. That's what people in Chicago in the summer want, and it was fantastic. So many new people we met, so exciting. All right, things are happening with Project 613, and stay tuned. I am hopeful, possibly even, by the next podcast to drop A major, major announcement for Project 613. So that is fun. So now you have to listen not only to this week's podcast, but next week's podcast as well. All right. So as we have mentioned, we are in the midst of the three weeks. Rabbi, what are the three weeks? Rabbi, what are the three weeks? The three weeks are your three weeks of vacation. No, we said that last time. Three weeks are a special time designated for the Jewish people in our calendar, book ended by two fast days, and we're approaching the second of those fast days to have a time of self reflection, to improve ourselves, to consider. What calamities have happened to our people in the past? And boy, oh boy, we know there are no shortage of them. And in these three weeks, we take ownership. We do not throw a pity party. We do not claim greatest victim status, GVS. We we claim GRS, greatest responsibility status. We are no one's victims and we take responsibility for whatever happens to us and try to learn the lessons from it. Now, it's actually a very crazy thing. Let's talk about this just for a minute. If you would ask my professors way back when, when I was an undergraduate at Stanford University learning history, and you would ask them who destroyed the first temple, they would say, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, he is the one who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Okay. And if you ask those professors who destroyed the second temple in Jerusalem, and they would say Titus, the Roman general. And if you ask any Jewish child, up to adulthood. Who destroyed. Or what destroyed. The first temple. And they would say. Well that's obvious. It was the Jewish sins. It was the three cardinal sins. That we violated of. Avodah Zarah. Shavichas Damem. And Guli Which is. Idol worship. Bloodshed. And inappropriate sexual relationships. So. Who's right? Why was the temple destroyed? So the professors at Stanford give the external technical answer. But the Jewish children, they know the truth, that even though that Nebuchadnezzar was technically the one to deliver the hammer blows to destroy the temple, Solomon's temple, The the real destruction came from the Jewish people. It is from our lacking and our inability to live up to our potential and the potential that the Almighty wants from us. And that is why both temples were destroyed. And the Talmud is very clear on the fact that it's not only then, but that in every generation that the temple is not rebuilt It is considered as if that generation actually destroyed it itself. Meaning that if we really would have fixed the sins of the past, if we would have learned the lessons, then instantly the temple would be rebuilt. Messiah would come and the Jewish people would all return to Israel, ushering in a utopian messianic era of world peace and God's revelation in the world. That sounds pretty good but we are not there yet. And so that is the great divide of the Jewish people. And coming this Wednesday night and Thursday is Tisha B'Av. Is, as we said, the second book and the second fast day of this three-week period. And Tisha B'Av is a unique fast day because it is one of... Two fast days. That's the entire day that starts at sunset this coming Wednesday and extends all the way till Thursday night at three stars out. The only other twenty-five hour fast day is Yom Kippur. Now, for clarity, Tisha B'Av is de-rabanan, derabanan. It's a rabbinic fast day, and therefore it is not as strict as Yom Kippur, but it's close. And so, therefore. Even if fasting has never been on your radar ever, ever, you have from the time that you listen to this podcast till Wednesday at sundown to maybe go all in or at least go partly in. Drink Gatorade beforehand. Get sleep. You know, don't um, maybe cut down on the caffeine. There's, you know, pills you could take. Maybe plug in a little bit of what does it mean to fast. Fasting is a time when we remove focus from our bodies and we focus on our spirit. It's a time when we, it is a type of affliction where we share in the suffering of countless untold Jews throughout the millennia who have suffered more than we could ever possibly imagine. And yes, the Holocaust was dramatic, but it was the As I would say, the Machabapatish, the final hammer blow, the final concluding crescendo of thousands of years of pain and agony. And yet, not one time in that last 2,000 years since the temples destroyed, did we sit down and wallow and pity and throw ourselves a pity party and claim. Victim status. Greatest victim status. And in fact, I encourage you all to find an observant Orthodox synagogue this coming Thursday morning. Around the world, Jews will be sitting on the floor like mourners. Like someone died. and, And not greeting each other. There's a very interesting halakha. a a Jewish law that when someone has one of their seven close relatives die within that Shiva, you don't greet them. You don't say, hey, Joe, how you doing? You don't even say, hey, Joe. And so therefore, we spend an entire day reenacting like we're mourners because the temple was destroyed. And what are we doing? We're taking responsibility. We read kinos. Kinos are special poems and... Elegies that were written by the rabbis throughout the generations, lamenting the tremendous tragedies that have happened from the times of the destruction of the first and second temples, but throughout history, through the destruction of the rabbis of the Mishnaic period, the Tannaim, all the way through the Crusades. People talk about the Holocaust. Do we know what happened in the Crusades? There are estimates there were 30,000 Ashkenazi Jews. That's it in all of Europe. And ten to 15,000 were killed by the Crusaders marching through in a holy war to free the Holy Land from the Muslim infidel. But they couldn't wait. Said Godfrey de Bouillon <laughs> from France. Why wait till we get to the Middle East when we can kill the infidel here on European soil? And the Crusaders set the tone for the very first time of mass destruction of the Jews, that unfortunately, uh, nine hundred and fifty years later were uh, carried out in unprecedented scale. Okay, and this is we don't we do not get depressed. We sit on the floor and we take responsibility in a culture, in a world today that basically is trying to be the greatest victim. We should be proud of our approach that we don't blame others for the bad things that happen to us. We look ourselves in the mirror and we take responsibility. And that is a very powerful thing. And with that halfway, midway introduction, I want to now transition to talk about the Tisha B'Av of 531 years ago in Spain. It was one of the most dramatic Tisha B'Av's in our history. But in order to appreciate what happened on that day, July 30th, 1492, you hear where this is going? We need a little bit of a background. And the little background goes like this, is that the center of of the Jewish world... up until about 200-300 of the common air was in Israel, but then with increasing persecutions, it transferred to Babylonia, to Babel, and maybe even before then already, by the time of the destruction of the first temple Babylonia, which is modern-day Iraq, became the center of Jewish life. And then that was the center of Jewish life, concluding the Babylonian Talmud around 500, 550, the common era. And then Islam came on the world like a lion. And Jews followed Islam from Babylonia all the way to the Iberian Peninsula, That's Iraq, all the way through the Middle East. Some went through North Africa, some went through Europe, all the way till till Spain. And in seven eleven. It's a slurpy year in 711. All of Spain was conquered. Basically, all of Spain was conquered by the Muslims, and therefore that began in 711. Actually, 713 to be more precise. The Reconquista, where the Christians said, "No, no, 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 you're not going to take our Christian Spain," and they started chipping back away at Muslim control, which finally, and I'm fast forwarding a lot, that campaign to reconquer. Spain from the Muslims finished on January 2nd, 1492. And King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella had the opportunity now. The Muslims were gone. They were no longer in control. And now there was an opportunity to make Spain purely Catholic. And therefore, On March 31st, 1492, in the in Granada, the last stronghold in the Alhambra Palace, the Moorish palace, the Moorish Muslim palace. King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella signed the decree, the Alhambra decree, that the Jews had four months to leave the country. And guess what day that fell out on? It fell out on Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, 1492. So to appreciate what this meant, Spain was not home just for a few Jews. It became the center of Jewry for hundreds of years. And in fact, the majority of Jews on planet Earth lived in Spain in the Iberian Peninsula. And... We contributed untold contributions to the non-Jewish and certainly to our own Jewish scholarship and the world. We were the court Jews that were running the show for all of the kings and queens of Spain. And in fact, we were the ones who made the shidduch, who made the match between King Ferdinand of Aragon and Queen Isabella of Castile. And the Jews, after that happened, were very happy. Wink, wink. It was good for the Jews, quote unquote. Unfortunately, it did not turn out that way. And we have to fast forward. But basically, the wheels of the bus of Spanish Jewry started falling off the bus in 1391. Massive pogroms, 100,000 Jews murdered, 100,000 Jews converted and 100,000 Jews temporarily hid or fled. Massive numbers of conversion that we have never seen, we had never seen in J- European Jewish history ever. And what did the rabbi say at the time? What did the rabbis say? Did they say it's their fault? It's unbelievable. And I'm quoting from the Jews of Spain by Janus Gerber. I've quoted from on this podcast many times, page 116. And she's quoting Rabbi Lawi in a Musar. And this is what he said after the mass of pogroms. If we ask ourselves why all this happened to us, then we have to accept the truth. We ourselves are at fault. We and in our iniquities cause this evil to happen. And he goes on and says that our scholars were not behaving correctly. They were involving themselves too much in Greek philosophy and they were becoming assimilated and the court Jews were becoming too close to the kings and they were, the riches were spoiling them and there was too much competition among Jews and we weren't supporting each other. And we became decadent and we became involved in machlokus, in disagreements and arguments. There was no unity among us. And we became assimilated among the non-Jewish ways. There's one line here talking about our decadence. We acquired costly wagons and horses dressed in precious garments. They're talking about which Tesla people got. <laughs> we were, we, There were Beamer or Mercedes. It, it was a horse and wagon at that time, but there were fancy ones. Okay. And this is what's amazing is that we had the maturity at the time, not to blame anyone else, but to take responsibility. Don Yitzhak Barbanel, the great rabbinic leader, said the following, when people heard the decree in 1492, in 1492, that they were going to have to leave, convert, or die, he said the following, it's on page 138, The people heard this evil decree and they mourned. Wherever word of the decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews. Now for those of you who have done a little bit of Jewish learning, what does that sound like? It sounds exactly like when Haman sent out the decree in the name of Akashverosh that all the Jews will be killed. And the Abarbanel did that often. He used the same language of our Torah, of our Tanakh in his writings. There was a great trembling and sorrow, the likes of which had not been experienced since the days of the exiles of the Jews from their land to the land of foreigners. The Jews encouraged each other, let us strengthen ourselves on behalf of our faith, on behalf of the Torah of God. If our enemies let us live, we will live, and if they will kill us, we will die. But we will not profane our covenant, and our hearts will not regress. We will walk forward in the name of the Lord our God. The Abarbanel facing the abyss, the total obliteration of his community, of the majority of the residents of the Jewish people, said there's one thing we can't do. We cannot stop being Jewish. That's who we are. We have a special mandate on planet Earth to represent God and godliness with our morality, with our standards of behavior, by not throwing pity parties, by taking responsibility for our behavior. And that was the hopeful message that he gave to his people. And I'd like to paint that picture of what it was like in 1492, July 30th, some say. Some say it's August 2nd with the Gregorian calendar. It's a little bit, it gets a little hazy after it was fixed. But late July, early August, 1492 there were thousands of ships in the harbor and how do we know this because there was a very famous person on his ship and series of ships and he was writing in his journal that he couldn't leave he couldn't leave on his journey because the ports were filled with Jews staying truthful to their covenant there was too much traffic And who was that person? That person was none other than Christopher Columbus. And we look at a snapshot in history of 531 years ago. Imagine you're looking birds at that port and the puppet strings that the Almighty is pulling. He's causing these ships to leave, which are going all over the Mediterranean Basin. And yet, at the same time, Hashem is planting the seeds of salvation, not necessarily for this exile, but for a future exile. Because Columbus, we know, will be the first European source to really, truly discover America, which has become a safe haven in many ways for the Jews hundreds of years later. You imagine the, 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 the snapshot of what's happening in that port. And I'd like to finish with an absolutely incredible, powerful, fasten your seatbelts. This is intense. Description of what happened to many of those Jews who were leaving Spain. Because the Jews that decided to leave they didn't hop on an LL flight and head to Israel. They didn't go on the luxury cruise liner to head, hit up Turkey and the Italian coast and the Riviera. What happened was greedy pirates took hapless Jews and they had no ability to defend themselves, and the Jews had to trust them. Many were dumped at sea, and some were dumped on deserted islands. It's estimated that. Anywhere of 50,000 to to 100,000 Jews died in transit. It's truly incredible. And so this is a story of a family that was dropped off on a deserted island. And this account is from Solomon Ibn Verga, who lived from 1450 to 1520. And he chronicled many of these incredible, devastating experiences. I heard pass from the lips of the old, departed from Spain of a boat, and the fatal blow was dealt. The skipper cast all ashore in a place uninhabited, and there most of them died of hunger. Those struggled to stay on their feet until they could find a place of settlement. And one Jew among them, he, his wife, and their two sons, strove to go on. The woman, rather than let her feet stray, fainted and died. The man bore his sons, and he also fainted, as did the sons, from the hunger cast over them. When the man overcame his weakness, he found his sons dead. In a frenzy, he rose to his feet and exclaimed, Master of the universe, you hasten to make me abandon you. Know my faith against the will of those residing in heaven. I am a Jew, and a Jew I shall remain. And all that you have caused me to bear and will further bring upon me shall not hinder me from worshiping you. And he gathered dirt and weeds and covered the two children and went in search of a settlement. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the power of a Jew. This is the power of the Jewish people. And we are now in a core meltdown of Judaism in America where the next generation doesn't even know why they should be Jewish. And you have this man saying, you can do whatever you want to me, Hashem. You will not take me away from serving you. That is our challenge on Tisha B'Av. What did this Jew know? What was he plugged into? That he understood how precious, how profound, how beautiful, how compelling, how necessary, how fulfilling it is to be Jewish. That's our job this Tisha B'Av, this Wednesday night and Thursday, to focus, clear your schedule. Cancel your meetings, folks. This is when we find out what we're made of. This is the last minute or two of the ball game. Can we focus and plug in to the greatness of the Jewish people and what it means to be a servant of God? God bless that we all have an uplifting and powerful and redemptive Tisha B'Av. And we look forward to seeing you right back here next week for another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. La visora